You're listening to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. Our guest in our studio today is U.S. Representative Ed Case, who serves the 1st Congressional District. That would be Oahu from Makapu'u through central Oahu and leeward to Mililani. He's joining us in studio as he is in town, scheduled to return back to Washington. Is it tonight? A <laughs> few hours. <laughs> oh, yep. gosh. So um, what brought you back home? Well, this is a uh, district work period when the U.S. House is not um, in full session. I have been doing uh, various meetings uh, in D.C. and committee hearings, especially on my appropriations committee, which is um, definitely running all the way through the district work period. Uh, so it, it it results in some early mornings uh, on D.C. time, uh, but also just an opportunity for me to catch up uh, back home. It's been a while since I was home, and so I've had a real full week. But um, Congress starts voting again tomorrow, and I, and I, I need to go back and you picked quite a week to come home. You know, the legislature adjourned uh, some historic legislation. Uh, and one of your colleagues announced this weekend that he is stepping down. Uh, uh, Kai Kahele announced that he is uh, going to be running for governor. And uh, former Honolulu Mayor Kirk Caldwell dropped out of the race. Uh, here's Kahele. I stand before you today a proud Native Hawaiian, a combat veteran, someone who has dedicated my life to fighting for the people of Hawaii here in my hometown of Hilo, where the hopes and dreams of generations came before me to unite around a greater vision for Hawaii to humbly and proudly announce my candidacy for governor of the state of Hawaii. So uh, this was expected. A lot of people were anticipating it. But how, how do you look at this? I mean, you know, because... Uh, you know, how, how does it affect the Hawaii delegation and the strength of the um, key people there? Well, first of all, I mean, Congressman Kahele, like all of us, has to make a call as to whether, where and how he thinks he can best serve. And it's going to be up to the voters to make that decision. He's he's decided um, that um, that uh, where he wants to serve is is back home. And, and I give him credit for that and, and accept that. Um, um, it is, though, uh, for me and I believe for the delegation, uh, the loss of a solid and productive uh, teammate uh, Congressman Kaheli has been uh, certainly a teammate of mine. Again, we only have four of us uh, in the U United States uh, Congress, two senators, two representatives. Um, and, um, you know, frankly, you need both both people firing away. Um, it's 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 tough to carry it um, as just one member. I, I, I definitely went through two two years of uh, Congresswoman Gabbard uh, running for, <clears throat> you know, president. Um, and although we had a very, very good, uh, productive working relationship, um, and although we got the job done, um, her absence from Congress was felt. And so, uh, you know, um, when you have somebody with experience, with natural talents, as I think uh, Kai does, um, with commitment um, and with um, and really with very, very good uh, you know, positioning in Congress, uh, he worked hard to get on some very good committees and, and was a productive member. So. It, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's, it's a loss for the delegation, I think. Um, uh, but I understand his reasons. Um, you know, he's made no secret of, of some of the personal reasons uh, that um, he had hoped to have his, you know, young family with him in D.C. And, and they've made a different decision as a family. I can tell you in no uncertain terms, since I'm in my eighth year in, 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 in Congress, that um, although it is a deep honor and a, and a deep responsibility to represent uh, Hawaii um, in Congress. It does come at costs, personal costs, um, especially for young families. So I understand that side of it. And then the other side of it is, um, and, I, and I say this often, and, and that is that many of the challenges that Hawaii, uh, this is a frustration in my job, uh, many of the challenges that Hawaii faces um, are, are challenges that are best addressed at the state and county government level. Um, it's, I'm not governor, um, I'm not mayor, I'm, I'm, I'm the congressman and I have a responsibility to, to work in our Congress uh, towards both national issues and issues where I can to help Hawaii. But I cannot make some of the decisions that I wish I could make uh, to help Hawaii through some of those challenges. Those are governor decisions and mayor decisions. And, and you know, he's made a call that, that uh, for what he wants to achieve, um, that's a better, better role for him. So. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's really mixed news for me. Um, and um, obviously, the voters, um, I think the voters are winners on this because they do have solid choices. I mean, I mean, you know, uh, Lieutenant Governor Green, uh, Ms. Caetano, and Congressman Kaheli are all solid choices. I would be happy to work with any of them um, as governor, as I've worked very well with uh, uh, Governor Ige over the last four years. How important is it to have a Native Hawaiian uh, in Congress? 
Well, I mean, I think that um, I think that it is. Um, um, I, I don't think that one can say that um, there should automatically be a Native Hawaiian in the congressional delegation. Um, I don't. I, I think we're. Uh, you know, we are a, a multicultural, multi multi ethnic uh, society, um, and I think I think. It, there is value in a, in a Native Hawaiian uh, being in the delegation, and I believe Congressman Kaheli has brought a unique a Native Hawaiian perspective uh, to the job of representing Hawaii in Congress. But I don't think it's a has to uh, situation, um, and I and I think frankly that a long line of members of Congress, hopefully myself included, um, have advocated uh, very effectively for Native Hawaiians um, in in Congress. Although we are not technically Native Hawaiian, I guess the best example of that would be Senator Inouye, who really wrote many of the laws that we're, that we're still applying and funding uh, to date. And so um, that's up to the voters to decide what, uh, what value to attach to that. I think there is some value, but I don't think it's the, I don't think it's the, uh, the end of the day. Well, you know, uh, I know Kaheli did uh, talk about a lot of these Native Hawaiian issues as one of the reasons why he said he wanted to run for governor. In 1959, as a condition of statehood, the new state of Hawaii was mandated to administer two important trusts for the benefit of the general public and Native Hawaiians. The first was the inclusion in the Admissions Act of the Hawaiian Homes Commission Act of 1920 and the management and disposition of the Hawaiian homelands. The second was the return of 1.8 million acres of ceded land to be held in trust with a commitment and promise to the people of Hawaii that these lands would be used for five specific purposes. Public housing, education, agriculture, infrastructure, and the betterment of the conditions of Native Hawaiians. These were the promises made to the people of Hawaii and they have largely been neglected. As your governor, I will keep these promises. And you know, you worked with um, Kahele on a number of issues together, um, whether it be Native Hawaiian issues or uh, one example, uh, uh, the Ka'ena Point. Uh, you are moving to try and get that designated as a heritage uh, area. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, I think that uh, his comments there um, illustrate exactly the point I was trying to make previously, which is that there are some things that uh, a congressman can and should do and some things a governor can and should do um, in the particular case of the Hawaiian Homelands Trust and the Ceded Lands Trust. Um, I, I agree with Kai that, um, that, that the administration of these trusts has not lived up to the, the vision or the responsibility that was, that was uh, charged to the state of Hawaii. And as a matter of fact, we just saw uh, some remedy of that um, in, the, in the state legislative uh, work this year, which was very, very solid in terms of uh, trying to, trying to um, uh, fulfill some of the responsibilities in the Hawaiian Homelands Trust in particular and increasing the Office of Hawaiian Affairs a revenue stream, which, which comes out of the ceded lands uh, trust obligations. Um, but um, the fact of the matter is that from those perspectives, those duties of administration on, of those laws have been fully delegated to the state since virtually since statehood. And so if, if those are issues that one is uh, that are front and center to somebody um, as they are to Congressman Kaheli and they are to me, too. But the fact of the matter is that the governor's office is where to implement uh, those those changes. Um, it, it's 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 primarily at the state level now. And, uh, you know, the legislation I mentioned and a point, uh, talk about what your hopes are uh, for designate, designating that area uh, a heritage area. Well, we, we, we have not, th this is um, a national heritage area pr proposal. Um, and national heritage areas are very, very unique parts of our country that have a special significance from a historical, from a cultural, from an environmental uh, from a, a community, from a broader perspective. They're just special places, really, really special places, and they should be preserved as part of our nation's multifaceted heritage. We do not have a national heritage area in Hawaii, even though we have some of the most uh, unique and significant um, of all of those categories, whether you want to talk about cultural or ethnic or historical or, or, or environmental um, or, or just, um, you know, part of the fabric of our Hawaii. Uh, we don't have one of those. Um, and so some years ago, I set out to, to find uh, um, 
suitable um, uh, places that we could uh, try to create as a natural her- national heritage area. Uh, these are these are federally designated, but they're not national parks. So it's not as if you're creating a new national park, but you are creating a federal umbrella, which comes with aid for state, county, and governments and communities, which is very very important in the case of Kaina Point because it's such a community resource uh, to to uh, West Oahu and and um, the Windward Coast. I'm sorry the the Waianae Coast, and and so this is this is critical. Um, um, this this is a critical um, part for the community to be able to administer, and so the bill that I that I introduced uh, last Congress, and that Congressman Kahele and I co-introduced this Congress, uh, would in fact start down that road of kind of point being designated as our first uh, national heritage area. Uh, we actually succeeded in getting it out of the U.S. House, so it's passed the U.S. House now. It's over on the Senate side, and we're working very hard with our congressional delegation there to to get it passed out of the Senate. And you're also looking at what a uh, forest reserve area in the Big Island. So another area that um, um, it's just um, there's no reason for it to to be the case is that we have national forest designations. So these are these are unique forests throughout our country. You know, maybe there are birch forests somewhere or fir forests, you know, whatever it might be. Well, here we have some of the only um, uh, tropical forests in our entire country. In fact, we do have the only tropical forests of any state. We have uh, in some of the territories tropical forests, uh, but in Hawaii, um, that's what we have here. And yet we have no um, special category, special designation, special protection of our unique national forests. And so um, another bill that um, I, I worked up and that we have also gotten passed out of the U.S. House um, is for uh, Hakalau uh, over on the Big Island up on the slopes of Mauna Kea, which is some of the most unique forest in our entire world to be designated as a natural, uh, I'm sorry, a national forest. Okay, but it's a little different designation from a heritage. It's different from okay. a national heritage area. It is It is still um, uh, the, the, the federal National forests would be more directly akin to a national park. It would okay. be federal, federally run and administered. A national heritage area is, is, a, is a federal structure and federal funding, but is still run by um, the state or county government or commu- and or communities. Okay, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but uh, right now we're going to take a short break. Support for HPR comes from Blue Note Hawaii, located in the outrigger Waikiki, presenting R&B group Tony, 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 performing songs such as Feels Good in two sets nightly this Friday and Saturday. Tickets at bluenotehawaii.com. Preventative care for women includes not just pap smears and mammograms, but also a focus on overall wellness, including nutrition, hormones, and more. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Join me today on The Body Show. We'll talk with an expert about a comprehensive care plan for women of all ages. That's today at 6.30 on The Body Show. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Outrigger Hotels and Resorts, committed to guest and employee safety, while also featuring the Malama Hawaii Experience, offering hands-on cultural learning in Malama Ka'aina, caring for the land. Outrigger.com. We're back with the conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. We invite you to uh, join in our conversation with uh, U.S. Representative Ed Case by calling 808-941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. You know, and uh, we were talking about uh, a point uh, in the forest uh, designation on on the Big Island. You know, we're always looking for places for our our residents and our tourists to go. I don't know. Is there anything more that we could do to uh, 
beef up, let's say, the, you know, the Honouli Uli designation or Ebba Field or somehow just, you know, get more effort into uh, getting more access to these areas? Well, again, back to my point, um, there are tremendous uh, areas where the federal government can help, but many of these decisions are state and county government uh, decisions, and, and they have to be uh, initiated and, and pursued at the state and county government level. Thus, the reason why politicians uh, you know, run for governor or mayor as opposed to running for Congress or sometimes return home from Congress to run for governor or mayor. Um, the bottom line is that for the, from in my kuleana, which is the federal government, what can I do in Congress to assist what I completely agree is, is an erosion <clears throat> in, in the protection of the special places of Hawaii, an erosion in our ability to enjoy uh, nature and culture as we want to enjoy it without being overrun uh, by, by, by sprawling development and by 10 million plus tourists a year. I, I completely agree. I'm completely on board with that concept. We are, we are losing um, our touch with um, the Hawaii that I think we all uh, cherish, and that's a critical um, challenge for all of us. Um, at the federal level, what I can do is I can, uh, I can try to uh, protect our national parks. I can try to create um, new portions of our national parks. Um, I can, which I'm, which I'm doing, uh, one of my principal um, um, uh, funding um, areas last year in appropriations was to um, expand Haleakala National Park uh, to a beautiful new parcel that would, that would really be a treasured addition to that incredible national park. Um, I certainly pursue um, efforts uh, such as <clears throat> such as rampant uh, tour helicopters wrecking our national parks, much less um, our communities. Uh, but that's a very specific effort. And then we do uh, at the federal level fund uh, state and county and uh, private, mostly nonprofit community organizations that are dedicated uh, to preserving and protecting our our special uh, places, whether they be our national trails. Uh, many of the counties have uh, community land trusts um, that uh, Congress does support. And so I can and do do all of the above. And I'm on the Natural Resources Committee. Um, I, I, I love that committee and I'm, I'm passionate about it. I'm on the uh, subcommittee for National Parks and Public Lands, um, as well as the subcommittee on Water, Oceans and Wildlife. And let's not forget that the oceans is part of what we're talking about here. So I can work on all of those areas, and I do work on them with, with uh, I think, a fair degree of success. Uh, we have had some, some major uh, funding initiatives in the last uh, one or two years in Congress, uh, the Great America Outdoors Act at the, at the last part of the last Congress, which opened just a tremendous amount of funding for national uh, park and other uh, national uh, area of uh, um, acquisition and, and preservation. But that's only part of it. Um, you need solid state land use laws. You need solid state land use enforcement. You need county zoning laws. You need to require the protection of these public areas. Whenever you give out a permit uh, to do something, it should come with the, the idea that, uh, there, there, that there is a potential consequence on, on our own um, 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 protection and recreation uh, opportunities. And that takes good, solid people in state and county government. And we've had a mixed... We've had a mixed result on that. We're not we're not protecting enough. A lot of good, solid people committed to it, but not a deep, widespread, um, institutionalized uh, protective scheme and political culture, as does exist other parts of the world. And you know, uh, you've been back this uh, past week. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of uh, developments. As we mentioned earlier at the top of the show, uh, you know, Mayor Caldwell. Uh, has uh, pulled out of the race for governor, saying it wasn't his time. There's concern about, uh, I guess, the public corruption cases that are still working their way through the system. Uh, you know, we know the feds are looking at rail. You know, I mean, any uh, thoughts on that? Well, obviously, we do have some degree of problem. Um, we've had we've had sitting state legislators that have that have um, admitted. Uh, to it, and so you know the the argument that somehow it doesn't exist in our political culture and political fabric is obviously wrong. The question is uh, to what extent is it? It certainly is and should be top of mind for voters as they go into this election cycle. You know what have you done uh, from the from the perspective of 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 trying to you know not only root out corruption but prevent it from happening to start with 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 ethics laws and and with um, um, you know um, uh, law uh, suitable law enforcement. Uh, 
prosecution of these cases. Now, it's hard for me to get into specific contested cases, so I, I don't think it's right for me to go there. Uh, but I completely support the fact that we've got to uh, investigate and prosecute those cases and bring them to trial where, where necessary. We need, we need those answers, and we need it as a deterrence uh, against anybody doing it. And the fact that we've had to have outside prosecutors come in to look at these cases. Um, well, I don't think that's an unusual um, uh, thing for, for outside prosecutors to come into a highly um, you know, sensitive, highly local case. That happens throughout the country. That's, that is um, oftentimes as much about um, the appearance of, of, a, of an honest and, and objective process it is, as, as it is about um, any actual uh, favoritism. I've, I've really, frankly, never found um, that to be true in terms of my own dealings, especially on the on the on the federal side. I mean, they're pretty straight up whether they live here or not. Um, and and I know they are looking at rail. Uh, there's a big decision to pause rail uh, at the city civic center um, with the intention to go to Ala Moana. You know, what are your thoughts on that and and the funding that's needed to complete this? Well, first of all, I'm, I'll say straight out that I have been a supporter of rail. I, I can't envision um, an island. I can't envision my district, the first congressional district, which is urban Honolulu, one of the high, most highly dense uh, uh, areas of our entire country, one of the most difficult areas from an infrastructure perspective, from a traffic perspective, um, on and on and on. So, you know, I, I have always believed we, need, we needed some form of centralized mass transit in Honolulu. Now, do I agree with every single decision over the last 20 years of heart specifically? Well, absolutely not. Um, it obviously has been highly, highly problematic. Um, I do think um, that for us to simply kind of stop it and abandon it at this point is, is not the right decision. Um, the, 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 the going to sit, and I've spent all kinds of time with heart leadership, uh, with with the Federal Transit Administration, with our fellow congressional, you know, delegation who are are you know have have been very close to this uh, throughout my time back in Congress, uh, as well as with the mayor, as well as with the state, as well as with anybody else that wants to talk about it. Because uh, my job is is directly the federal funding side of it, um, but my indirect job is to try to achieve a project that I that I believe um, is the right thing to do for my district. So the Civic Center decision is a very practical decision. This is what we can finance for now, um, and we should at least finish it to Civic Center and get the FTA, the feds, to approve that so that they can contribute the federal funding that's still outstanding. Um, and let's see where we can go as to Ala Moana and foreclose no option uh, to extend to Ala Moana um, uh, for now. So in other words, don't give up any of the you know, the right-of-way uh, pursuits through central Kaka'ako, as an example. And uh, let's talk about Red Hill. Uh, there is an advisory uh, task force committee meeting coming up on Friday. Uh, uh, last week, Friday, the governor uh, extended a, a new executive order or issued a new executive order uh, asking that we get something in writing from the Navy about the plans to defuel because we have not yet to date. Well, I expect the Navy to be providing that pretty soon. <clears throat> I mean, I've had a lot of ongoing discussions, even though Red Hill, since the Navy um, it, um, or the Secretary of Defense more accurately uh, um, announced that um, he would, in fact, um, um, implement the closure, not just the defueling, but the closure of Red Hill. Um, it's been relatively quiet, uh, but that doesn't mean that we haven't been fully involved in it uh, throughout the entire process. First of all, from an appropriations perspective, it's been critical to to not to 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 secure the funding that's going to be necessary to pull this off. It's going to be in the billions of dollars um, in the fiscal year 2022 appropriations bill, which we passed um, a couple of months back. We had about 1.1 billion. Um, we also worked with uh, the the president and his administration to to get a. A, another $1 billion request in the current FY 2023 budget. Um, that is one of my top priorities um, in, in my own uh, submissions to the Appropriations Committee. So there's lots going on. Um, the Navy has been moving down the road of complying with the basic requirement uh, that before we do defuel, uh, before we do uh, proceed with closing, that we identify exactly what happened at Red Hill and why and what needs to be fixed for us to be able to safely and efficiently and expeditiously defuel Red Hill. There's been no indication whatsoever that the Navy has reversed course on that. Um, they, have, they have conceded to the emergency order on that. And so I expect them to be finishing up their 
their plan um, and as to how to do that. And it, it may be that they talk about that at the advisory uh, committee uh, hearing coming up because I think it's coming along. Uh, if you're listening out there and you have a question or concern about Red Hill, we invite you to call in uh, 808-941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. Uh, you know, and I don't know if you will get briefed before uh, uh, the Navy issues its its report, uh, you know, on its investigation as to what led uh, to the leak and, and the water getting into our drinking, uh, drinking aquifer. Uh, but... Uh, uh, you know, I know that, uh, you know, there is concern and, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know, you know, w- w- what it's going to take. I mean, we've got RIMPAC games that are scheduled this summer. You know, what happens there with the defueling? Well, I think that I think there's really no linkage at all between Red Hill and, and RIMPAC um, at this point. Uh, RIMPAC is not going to defend on, uh, depend on Red Hill fuel whatsoever. Um, they, for the most part, will not for the most part, they will have independent uh, fueling options, um, not all of which will involve, um, you know, um, fuel that is actually stored on this island. And so really, there's there's no there's no linkage. And and, uh, you know, let's just be clear about what RIMPAC is. Uh, it's short for Rim of the Pacific. It is it is uh, one of it, it is the most important uh, joint uh, military exercise in our entire Indo-Pacific. Uh, we host it here. Uh, we invite uh, our nations uh, that we that we um, are friends and allies with, and sometimes even our adversaries, uh, to come and participate in that. Um, and um, obviously, that's for the for the purpose of making sure that we are all coordinated and presenting a united front against aggression from countries like China. So, RIMPAC is critical. Not to mention that it does have a distinct economic, uh, um, you know, benefit for Hawaii, and so um, I'm a full supporter of RIMPAC. But obviously, like anything else the military does, they can't, um, you know, conduct RIMPAC in a way that is destructive to our to our to our environment. And I don't think they will. And, and let's talk about the Indo-Pacific region uh, because, you know, we're seeing lots of changes, lots of tensions. Uh, you were just out, I think, at a, a conference or something uh, in this area recently? Yeah, well, um, I was on an official congressional delegation. I mean, uh, Congress has has not um, projected ourselves out into the world, um, as I believe is is invaluable for us as members of Congress to go out and not only represent our country uh, throughout the world, but also to to gather the best information that we can personally and to and to interact with our with folks around around the world, and so um, this particular congressional delegation just a few weeks ago, um, I I actually co-chaired uh, co-led that delegation as as co-chair of the Pacific Islands Caucus, which is an official congressional caucus that I co-founded a bunch of years uh, a couple of years back uh, that focuses on the Pacific Islands themselves. Uh, it's been a very successful caucus and is is really um, at full critical mass now, and what and m- much of what we are doing, including. Uh, major legislation that is um, under consideration in Congress right now. Um, my 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 co-lead was uh, Ruben Gallego, uh, my colleague out of Arizona, and he is he is on the House uh, Armed Services Committee subcommittee on intelligence and special operations. Um, and so it really was um, a a a Codel focusing perhaps more on the military side, but not exclusively on the military side of our engagements across the Indo-Pacific. And we went to the Philippines, which was fascinating to get back to the Philippines, uh, especially during the presidential election cycle. Uh, we went to Papua New Guinea, uh, which is an uh, inter- integral part of the Pacific Islands um, and a really on the front lines, if I can put it that way, between, uh, um, you know, in, in the geopolitical challenge of China today. Um, and we also went to Palau, uh, which is a key friend and ally and a compact country that we that we are in free association with. And that was not only about uh, these issues, but Palau was hosting um, the International uh, Oceans 2022 conference, which is the leaders in business and the private sector and the nonprofit sector in pre- preserving um, and protecting our oceans. And it was important to the president of Palau, President Whips, um, that Congress be represented. And I, I you know, we represented Congress at that uh, conference. So it was a very, very full, uh, you know, it was one week long for all of those 
um, stops. And um, the bottom line was uh, 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 not only great concern, especially over China's continued um, actions, but a great opportunity, really. Um, Ukraine obviously also factored into it because, um, and we can get into this if you'd like, but um, what happens in Ukraine matters in the Indo-Pacific also. Right. You know, uh, last week we did talk to uh, someone about the situation, uh, security agreement between China and the Solomon Islands. Uh, it's creating some tension. Uh, Tarsitius uh, Kabutalaka is an associate professor with the Center for Pacific Island Studies at University of Hawaii. He's from the Solomons. Uh, he explains the U.S. and Australia's concerns moving forward. The U.S. and Canberra will be looking out to ensure that this agreement does not result in greater Chinese military presence in the region. And they're really concerned about this for a number of reasons. One is given the activities that we've seen in the South China Sea and in what China or Beijing sees as its first island chain of defense. And then the second island chain, of course, includes places like Guam. So they have this idea that there are a chain of islands moving east from China, where China sees as its sphere of defense. So the first island chain includes the South China Sea. The second island chain includes Guam and down to places like Palau and so forth. And the third island chain is out from that. So any threat to Australia's domestic security by another power is most likely to come from the north. And we've seen it during the Second World War. So, yeah, concerns about that. You know, we've got the situation with the election in the Philippines. Uh, just lots developing in that area. So we well, he, first of all, he's absolutely correct, but he's being a little uh, tactful about it. It's a direct threat. Um, if, if China were to um, utilize the Solomon Islands, uh, China does not have a major military presence uh, currently anywhere in the Indo-Pacific other than for the presence that it created by violating international law uh, in the South China Sea by building up um, atolls that were uh, really within the Philippines' uh, exclusive economic zone. But the Solomon Islands are are uh, um, a thousand miles from Australia proper. Um, so, you know, more than half the distance from here to the, the U.S. Uh, continent. Um, and by the way, the third island change that, he, that he's referring to is includes Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> let's, be, let's be really, really clear about what's going on here. And so uh, we were in Papua New Guinea not one week before the Solomon Islands Agreement was signed, and we had a uh, very intensive uh, briefing and discussion with the president of Papua New Guinea about that and, and their concerns. Um, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is not good news. Um, and um, it's possible that the Solomon Islands themselves uh, will, will address this because uh, the president really acted against the wishes of 70, 80 percent of his own citizenry and his political establishment on this. Um, but second, um, you know, we've had our own uh, folks um, 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 out at, um, talking with the Solomon Islands in the last few weeks saying, look, if this is just about, you know, some relationship with China, that's OK. But if you're going to let China build a military base here, that's not okay, um, and that that's a that's a problem, and and so I I hope the Solomon Islands uh, reverses course on it. Okay, well if if you're just joining us, this is the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Are you a resident in Hawaii's first congressional district? This hour, we're talking to your representative. Ed Case is here today. You can call in with a question or comment by calling 808-941-3689 or toll-free 1-877-941-3689. And we do have a couple of calls uh, in the queue, but stay with us. We'll be right back after the break. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Aloha Air Cargo, offering five direct flights weekly from Honolulu to Seattle-Tacoma Airport. More information at alohaaircargo.com. On this week's On the Media, a breaking news consumer handbook for crime coverage. Lesson one, beware the passive voice. Officer involved shooting, man died in police shooting. 
A few months ago, a police officer killed a young girl in a store in Los Angeles. The New York Times headline about it read, Officer Whose Bullet Killed 14-Year-Old Girl. On this week's On the Media from WNYC. Beginning this evening at 7, following The Body Show. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Nico's Pier 38, serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner featuring fresh fish from Next Door's Fish Auction. With open-air dining and live entertainment, open daily. Menus at nicospier38.com. back with the conversation and we do have a couple of calls uh, stacked up here uh, we go first to Jason from Honolulu what's on your mind yes, hi I just wanted to ask the congressman if anything has ever come up in the past in regards to a federal park a national park on Oahu I know we have in, in Maui and, uh, and on the big island the two other counties but uh, I, a suggestion I thought was the Gideon County has 1,200 acres, um, including Hanama Bay and, and Cocoa Head um, Crater, as well as the state also has, you know, another 1,000-plus uh, acres along the Cayuga Coast and um, where the uh, Makapu Lighthouse is. I just kind of thought if that ever came up where maybe the federal dollars um, management um, protection, um, environmental, all that would, would ever come together and maybe create some kind of a national park on Oahu where, you know, that would, of course, uh, alleviate and maybe allow the states and the counties to refocus some of their resources on other parts of the island and uh, other parks and what have you, and then also give um, maybe better protection to um, those, you know, east um, Oahu and the, the, the coastline. Good point. Wonder yeah. if that ever came up. Yeah, thanks so much, Jason, and it's a, it's a great comment. Um, I have certainly contemplated it and and tried to think it through in terms of an actual national park. Um, I think the the short answer to your question is no. It 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 is um, um, thus far the the criteria that are usually followed for formal full national park designation have have not really matched up against Hawaii, and there have been other parts of our of our country and even state that uh, probably were better candidates to 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 expand at least the national parks. I talked earlier about Haleakala National Park and certainly the expansions at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park were ones that I, I supported. But that's not the end of the story because although that may be true as to national parks per se, there are many, many other federal designations that, that actually do fit the bill of many parts of, uh, of Oahu proper. We've already talked about a national heritage area, um, a national forest. Uh, there are forests here on Oahu that that are that are really really close to uh, Hakalau in terms of being suitable candidates. Uh, we have a national wildlife refuges, a number of those. We have national uh, seashore designations, and so I'm pursuing all of those national uh, designations, including. Um, um, including trying to figure out whether there are further protections necessary for the Kaivi Coast, which seems to be pretty protected right now, but that, of course, took a lot of work by a lot of people. And we have another uh, question uh, coming in from Kailua. Ingrid, thank you for your patience. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. Um, so, uh, aloha, Representative Case. Um, Kaika Hele and your challenger, Sergio Akubia, um, both strongly support uh, the House bill for Medicare for All, which would allow complete choice of doctors and hospitals, but cut out the insurance companies, therefore, um, thereby saving money, improving patient outcomes, um, covering more people. And also, you know, we have a, um, a lack of doctors in the state of Hawaii. And in removing some of the heavy burden of paperwork, it could help us um, recruit more doctors, especially for you know rural areas, I believe. So my question is, do you support this bill? It's um, the one um, introduced by Representative Pramila Jayapal. 
Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, there are a number of uh, bills that are before the House right now that um, are sometimes referred to as uh, Medicare for all. And so I'd want to make sure that I knew exactly which bill you're referring to. But if you're referring to kind of the central Medicare for all bill, I've taken a look at that um, in great depth. I have not co-sponsored it yet because fundamentally uh, what I believe that bill would do is to replace private insurance uh, with a full a government a Medicare program akin to what is true in, in other countries. And I frankly uh, am not convinced that that is the solution uh, to our healthcare crisis. Uh, here in Hawaii, for example, we have uh, in the high 90s in terms of utilization, most people are pretty satisfied with their, with their private insurance. Um, yes, there are obvious down, you know, downsides to private insurance that are, I think, well known. Um, but I, ha I, I simply haven't uh, been able to come to the conclusion that the solution to healthcare is to throw out that entire system and go with total Medicare. Now, what I have done um, is a couple of things. First of all, I believe in strengthening and expanding Obamacare, which has, has, has lifted, you know, tens of millions out of a very, very difficult uh, situation in terms of access to any kind of healthcare. I completely believe in that. Um, I have also tried to crack down on 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 healthcare costs. I'm I'm I've I've been on on bills to to crack down on prescription drug pricing and negotiate freely through Medicare uh, for all of my time in Congress, dating back to 2003. And then finally, um, I am on the public option bill, uh, which is essentially to say that um, those um, um, who want uh, who who prefer Medicare. Who, who believe that Medicare is their best answer can opt into Medicare before the current um, um, age. Um, and so my, my approach to this is we've got a lot of problems with healthcare, all of which are exactly accurate, but uh, to toss one system for the other is not where I've come out on it, uh, but there are many ingredients in Medicare for all that I, that I believe in. And, and if somebody wants to go to Medicare, I, I think they should be able to. We have another question, uh, Glenn from Honolulu. Uh, wants to know about the Build Back Better bill. Uh, Glenn? Yes, uh, Representative Case, uh, you were among a small group of Democratic representatives who separated the passage of the infrastructure bill from the Build Back Better bill. Infrastructure passed, Build Back Better stalled. The Build Back Better bill had many environmental initiatives important to Hawaii and the old uh, country and the world, do you support the revival of the Build Back Better bill, and what will you do to do that? Well, first of all, I voted for Build Back Better, um, so I repeat that. I re voted for Build Back Better, and it did pass the U.S. House, and it, and it has been in the Senate for the better part of uh, five months now. Um, and so um, maybe I'll say that for a third time. I voted for Build Back Better, and especially uh, for the environmental provisions in there uh, to include climate change, which I think is huge unfinished business. Yes, you're exactly correct. I thought it was a mistake for us to, to hold up a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, which, by the way, in and of itself was the largest investment we ever made in climate change in that bill, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, to hold it up um, on the hopes that somehow Build Back Better would be would be passed with it. And I felt that that was the wrong decision, the wrong choice. I felt that what we should do is grab the bill that we had in front of us, the bipartisan infrastructure package, which, which with, with incredible benefits uh, to our country and to Hawaii, uh, and I thought it was always very tenuous that Build Back Better uh, would pass the Senate. And so my fear, and I think my fear has been borne out, was that if we had kept those two bills linked, we would be sitting here with neither one of them right now. So I, I feel very comfortable in the decision I make. made. More information on that on my website at case.house.gov. And uh, we have a comment from a shy caller about the Jones Act. I know, you know, there's a, I think you were asking that we should get an exemption from that. Uh, I did see an op-ed from a former commandant of the Coast Guard uh, in our paper recently who said that you know, he was wondering if this is maybe not a good idea, given the tensions with Russia and, and China, to have vessels coming into our port at this time? Well, there's, there's two issues on the Jones Act. The first is um, the Jones Act overall, uh, forgetting Russia and, and uh, Ukraine. And um, there I've been pretty straightforward on that for, for a lot of years now. I don't, I, the Jones Act, which requires um, um, 
anything uh, transiting between two U.S. ports, so think Long Beach and Honolulu or Oakland and Honolulu, must be carried on U.S. Uh, built, U.S. flagged ships. That would be great if we had U.S. built, U.S. flagged ships, but we don't. We have about 98 uh, ships in our in our ocean-going Jones Act now, and as a result, we have a we have a virtual monopoly on the sea lanes between um, the continent and Hawaii, which um, accounts for 90 plus percent of everything we use here, lumber, food, milk, go on down the list, fertilizer, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't think that the federal government should support a monopoly. Um, And so my focus has been on the Jones Act and Hawaii itself. If the rest of the country wants to keep the Jones Act, that's your business. You know, you, you have buses, you have trains, you have trucks that you can move stuff around, at least there's a little bit of competition, but not an island state out 2,500 miles, completely uh, subject to uh, ocean-borne transport. Now, there's a separate issue with um, Russia and Ukraine because um, we were getting somewhere around 25% of our total fuel from Russia on international shipping. Uh, because that's not from a U.S. port to a U.S. port, so it doesn't. It can come on whatever shipping you want it to come on, and that's what the company that brings in that fuel was doing, was shopping the international market and using international shipping. Um, and there's plenty of international shipping out there. Um, however, we rightly uh, cut off uh, any imports from Russia, uh, and that leaves uh, a much small, smaller uh layer of options out there internationally. We have to go to places like Argentina and, you know, Libya for for our oil at that point. Um, And the obvious choice to make up for that 25% is the U.S. mainland, where we're we're producing energy. And yet the Jones Act says we have to use uh, tankers from that are U.S. built, U.S. made. And I've done the research on that. We have virtually no tankers available to transit oil from the U.S. continent to Hawaii. And so I've asked the president, uh, hey, under this specific circumstance uh, where we are at the mercy, actually we just have no practical alternative, um, open up the Jones Act so that at least international uh, tankers can bring you know, oil from Long Beach to Hawaii if we need it. Um, the White House has not said no to that. They've, In fact, they've said, hey, look, if, if things get so bad that you can't get oil on the international market and you're actually in that situation and the continent is the only place to get it, then we'll talk about it then, which I consider to be uh, quite a successful um, result for now. But that's that's the Jones Act. All right. We only have three minutes left, but I did want to address Roe versus Wade. Folks are worried that this could mean uh, also the uh, same-sex marriage, you know, dismantling of, of that uh, legislation. What are your thoughts? Well, there have been very few things um, um, in recent memory that have disturbed me, have, have disturbed me as much as this. Um, the fact that um, an admittedly extremely difficult um, um, issue uh, in our politics, which has been uh, weaponized politically, um, would 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 where we have tried to reach an accommodation that I think has generally worked for 50 years, where we have said no, this is this is a matter of 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 a woman's. Uh, right under our constitution to make decisions about her body, her family, in the in the in the in consultation with, with whatever religion she follows, with whatever family she follows, with her own circumstances, with 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 her doctors, um, and it it is not, and it's a very I think um, fair and balanced. Um, the the right is not an absolute right. You cannot terminate an, uh, a pregnancy up to up to the last minute. It's you know by stages. And so I thought that it was um, the right formulation uh, and for us to face the reality of a, um, a Supreme Court that on, on, on this issue, and I believe on others, is simply out of touch with um, uh, today's America and, and really the world where we see, what is it, 70 to 80 countries in, in the world that, uh, that allow women a full right of choice and the rest of them have some right of choice. Um, and so for us to go backwards on this is, is, is really tragic. And absolutely, I am absolutely worried um, that, um, that um, the court having established this precedent that somehow we should you know, leave, leave these issues uh, to states and essentially balkanize uh, the United States into those that can exercise a reasonable right and those that can't. Um, we and, have about a minute and a half. And to turn back, well, you know, this is this is critical stuff. And to turn back uh, to other areas of, of rights, um, I think it's tragic. And 
we can remedy this by passing um, a federal right of choice uh, through our Congress. Um, I have co-introduced that bill. We have passed it out of the United States House. It is highly problematic in the U.S. Senate now. So if that's where we're going to go, then we're going to have to solve this um, at the federal level uh, sooner or later. All right. Well, we thank you very much for spending the hour with us uh, today. Uh, We hope you have a safe trip back to uh, uh, the coast (laughs) and the continent. Uh, But thank you again uh, for spending time with us. Thank you so much. Case.house.gov. (laughs) Case.house.gov. Easiest way into my office. Uh, Thanks for having me. All right. Have a comment to share about today's show? You can call our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. Send us an email at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And if you want to listen back to today's show, check out the conversation podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.